0: Hello, and welcome to a bonus quarantine episode of The Heart of Markness. Today, we are going to cover a Mike Millard master recording, which was released this day. And it is... I clicked the wrong tab. You'd think I would know this by now. I know what it is, because it's the Rolling Stones... But I can't quite recall the date It is 1989, Steel Wheels Tour da, da 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 See what happened is I clicked I went to click the tab that had it open And I closed it instead October 22nd The Coliseum In Los Angeles, California Big, big Arena Tens of thousands of people Mike Millard, Mike Millard Sorry, Mike Millard Master Recording And this is the... I saw the Stones on this tour. It's the only time I've seen the Stones. I saw them at... uh, What was it? Sullivan Stadium, where the Patriots play in Foxborough, Massachusetts. And it was the only giant stadium concert I've been to. And I don't care for them. There's zero intimacy. I mean, which is to be expected. It's not like I was expecting, you know, the kind of... uh, Like seeing Elliot Smith in a club with 20 people level of connection. But um it was cool, for sure. It was cool. And um, Living Color opened for them, and they were fucking awesome. Just awesome. It was freezing, because I think it might have been October. Well, shit, Mark, I do have that page open. I can tell you what day it was, because I know you want to know. Foxborough. It was October. It was either September 29th, October 1st, or October 3rd. I don't know which one it was. For some reason, I think October 1st. But I do know that the stones made are grossed $4,648,338 just at the three gigs in Sullivan Stadium. Holy Christ. Thank you, Wikipedia. Good show, and uh, it was very cold that night. It wasn't a typical, you know, nice, gentle autumn night. It was like... I don't know, like 40, it was freezing. It was like breath on stage. And I remember in living color came out and they came out in like the, those, the super bright eighties colors. Uh, but, but like, uh, biker gear, like, like, like spandex. Cause they're all fucking ripped. Or, or the singer was Corey something. The singer is ripped. So he comes out in this thing. That's kind of like the Flanders suit with like, feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. And he's singing, and in the middle of the song, he's like, It's cold out here, y'all. It's so cold out here. Because it was. And uh, Keith came out in a a trench coat and looked badass. In fact, um, I think footage from the show that I attended is used in the Rock in a Hard Place video. When you see them playing outside in coats because it's cold, that's us. So yes, I was in a Rolling Stones video. That's right. I've worked with the Stones before. Good guys. Professional. Professional. Um, And it's also... This was the last tour... First of all, this was the first tour... After the Stones kind of fell apart in the 80s. Um, The last album that they had released prior to this was uh, Dirty Work. That came out in 86. And that had Jimmy playing on One Hit to the Body. And... It was a mess. It was recorded. A lot of it was recorded one person at a time. Uh, Charlie at that time was dealing with heroin addiction. He got into his drug problem uh, later in life, in his middle age, in the, in the 80s, but he handled it. Um, and then the Stones kind of de facto, by default, fell apart. Mick and Keith were on the outs, um, way worse than Robert and Jimmy were. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe the issues that divide Robert and Jimmy are deeper. But the acrimony publicly was way worse because Keith doesn't hold back. (laughs) So um, the last tour the Stones did was the the, uh, Tattoo You Tour that wrapped up in 1982. So they hadn't played for a very long time, eight years Seven years, eight years, you know what I mean. And um, then they reconciled um, completely unrelatedly after both Mick and Keith created solo careers and Keith's was more successful than Mick's. uh, They had a come-to-Jesus moment. And I imagine that come-to-Jesus moment was when Jesus said, Hey, Mick Jagger, the only reason why you're Mick Jagger is because you sing for the Rolling Stones. If you're touring as Mick Jagger, even if you have Joe Satriani as your guitarist, you're going to be playing small theaters. We call that the Jimmy Page Syndrome. Um, So they got back together. They had a reprochement in uh, 88, 89, and recorded Steel Wheels, which is the first album that's not... I don't know... People are like, it's the last Stones album because it's the last one that Bill Wyman's on. And this is the last tour that Bill Wyman played bass on. Um, and I think that's true. But I think by this time, they were already the... the Whatever they are now. The oldies act. The Rolling Stones. Go, like For the same reason you go to see The Who. You're going to see The Who because they're The Who. You're going to see The Stones because they're The Stones. Not because they're newest album is so great because steel wheels was a hit absolutely but it was not a hit like Rockin' a hard place is not a classic it was a hit but not a huge hit whereas um on tattoo you for their last tour start me up was not only a hit it's a song they play in every show you know 40 years down the road they open the show with start me up or at least they open the show on this tour with start me up And, um, you know, it's kind of, they reach that act where they're not, they're no longer culturally relevant as pioneers. Nobody's waiting to hear the new Stones stuff. But they would love to see the Stones. And, um, that's what I was going into. I didn't like the Steel Wheels album. It wasn't terrible. It's just nothing is there for me. It's, it's... You know, Mick and Keith weren't really producing anymore. There's not the Glimmer Twins behind the panel. It's other people. Don Was gets involved and, you know, it becomes a a, a corporate enterprise. The Rolling Stones as a business entity carrying forth. Now, the shows were still good. The shows were still entertaining. And even now, in their 70s, in their late 70s, the Stones deliver, you know, as a live band, because they're a great core live band because of Charlie. Um, and now Bill Wyman is in his 80s. You know, these are old men now, and uh, they still they still deliver, but they don't deliver in that way of if you go on like Spotify or go and look at the Stones discography, you see them releasing 10,000 live things, including including a bunch of stuff from 2000 and onward and that's not the stuff people are like dude dude you got to hear havana moon nothing's better than the rolling stones in 2016 or whenever that was um because it's something you go to see as an event not go you got to hear this tape they were on fire that night um because it's more of a performance i think um man what am i saying i don't know i am rambling And I'm not even... No, it's the sun is up. I'm a good boy. I am sitting here clear-eyed and bright-eyed and (sighs) bushy-tailed. Ambivalence is what I'm getting at. I'm ambivalent about the Stones, and this is right at the cusp of the transition from... It's either the last real Rolling Stones tour or the first corporate Rolling Stones tour... Or both. I mean, it's a hybrid. Bill Wyman is in the band, but they're playing these enormous, enormous audiences. So it's, you know, which is what they've done. But they're playing to, you know, when they play Shea Stadium, there, there's 120,000 people there for both those nights. 50,000, 50,000. They're currently, you know, they're playing before 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 people every night and um that's really not different than what they did in the 70s but they would also play you know Madison Square Garden and things like that and um i think it's you know i think it's more an indictment of stadium rock than the rolling stones maybe that's what it is it was cool this is cool this recording's cool it is a little um has a little bit of distance to it, simply because Mike Millard and his magical equipment are recording in, again, a giant coliseum with fifty thousand people, and not the LA Forum. You know, with that sweet spot where they capture everything. Still sounds great, beautiful, clear. Glad it happened, and the performances are good. Um, the one, the songs I've chosen are. Well, they're, old, they're classic Stone songs. There's nothing from Steel Wheels on there. I don't need, you know, nobody needs to hear Mixed Emotions or Sad, 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 or... Um, I didn't include Keith's set because uh, he wasn't that great. He wasn't bad, but it's just, you know, he's Keith. He sings when he wants to. Um, didn't want to waste the bandwidth, right? So what are you going to play, Mark? What am I going to play, Mark? Oh, before I get to playing, I wanted to... One thing I read, and I, I can't remember where I read this because I just did, I did some reading on the Steel Wheels tour. So I wasn't just like, here's the Rolling Stones, you dicks. Um, so I'd have a little something for you. Ray Context. Even though almost everybody who listens to this podcast is my age or older, so you know what happened. But for those of you that didn't, that's the story. Stones broke up. They got back together. This is their reunion project. Bill Wyman's last hurrah with the band. Uh, After this, he dropped out. And, oh my god, Daryl Jones? Shit. I knew the guy's name, his replacement. Um, But, what I had read was that this tour was the first where it sounded that corporate, you know, produced, polished sound um, more than the ragtag Rolling Stones. Because, um... Ian Stewart, their piano player and road manager, had died during the recording of... um Jesus Christ, Dirty Work. I think he died in 1985, 86. So they have Chuck Lavelle playing keyboards on this. And Chuck Lavelle, legendary keyboard player, he plays on everything, for everything, and I think he just became the, the Stones' touring keyboard player. Um But... In having that, you go from having somebody who was just a great blues pianist like Ian Stewart or Ian McLagan or uh, Billy Preston, all of whom have played keys for the Stones. You go from that to having somebody who was more a musician like uh, Paul Schaefer from Letterman's band and the Saturday night live band and the blues brothers, somebody who is professional and profoundly talented and competent. So you have them doing songs like, uh, Ruby Tuesday and, um, 2000 light years from home and things like that, that they, they, they hadn't handled before because they didn't have a, you know, keyboard player. <laughs> they had pianists and, as such, you get uh, synthesizers and sampling and things like that. And as a consequence, you have a more rigid structure in which you must play. Because if you're playing with these things with digital, digital uh, triggers and sequencers, and the lights now are choreographed because everything's computerized by this point, because it's an enormous production... The lights are synced, so you've got everything choreographed, so you really don't have that freedom to, if the song's going great, you're like, you know what, fuck it, keep it rolling, let's do a 30-minute jam of this. Um, you have a click track, and you stick to it, because on this beat, the flares are going to go off, on this beat, we're going to shoot up fireworks, on this beat, the cameras flash, or, you know, it's, it's, everything is planned, And it's a product being presented and it's still awesome. And it's 14 minutes in and I still haven't played anything, but, um, I, yeah, that's the last point I wanted to make. I think Chuck Lavelle's appearance at this time, uh, along with the tour being not managed by Bill Graham, he lost out on the bid to a Canadian promoter and, um, you know, they made $200 million on this tour. So shit who's going to be on this tour. They toured for a year, almost a literal year and made $200 million. Holy shit. Well, all right, let's open up with, you know what? Let's open up with 2000 light years from home. And you can hear that, that Chuck Lavelle keyboard. I mean, it's a full fuller sound like when the who went on the road in 89 and, and you know, didn't sound like the who anymore um it's very good and about halfway through the song they get into it and it kicks in the sound is awesome and the performance is awesome enjoy it my friends 2000 light years from home which i think on satanic majesties psychedelic stones Yeah, that was an abrupt cut. I'm sorry. It goes into another song, but that's where the track cut is. So it is what it is. And, um... See, not bad. It's the Stones. And they're able to, with Chuck Lavelle and a crew of other musicians and backup singers, et cetera, able to do songs that they really weren't able to pull off before, from the psychedelic era, right? And that was nice. But it wasn't amazing. I wanted to play it because it was novel. And, um... I don't know if you remember, but back on this tour in 89 or 90, must have been 89 or 90, I don't know, um, the Stones did a live telecast, simulcast uh, show, and they had two songs from it broadcast in 3D, and this was one of the songs, 2000 Light Years From Home. And it was cool as fuck. It was um, utilizing a newer, at that time, form of 3D that had more to do with the way things move and um, how your eye tracks it, etc. And it was cool. It really worked. And I remember it, because I had the glasses and I taped it on the good old VCR. And um, I can't remember the other song they did in 3D. Maybe Paint It Black. Um, but I think it was the LA shows because I think they had Axel Rose come out and play salt of the earth and Eric Clapton come out and play something. So it wasn't at this concert, but it might've been at this run of concerts. And I don't know, maybe you saw it too. In any case, let's move on to some more fun. Now that's enough of the experimental stuff. We're getting into the meat of it. We're going to get to some good old songs from a good old band and the first one I'm going to play for you of this next little group is Tumbling Dice, a great song from my opinion one of the best rock and roll albums ever created. Um man, you're not going to get better than Exile on Main Street. Mark, this is a Zeppelin podcast. How can you? You're not going to get better than Exile on Main Street. That is straight up rock and roll. Not saying I like it more than anything from Zeppelin. I'm saying that it is on its own a Shining City on the Hill of Pure Rock and Roll. And this is, one of the best songs from it, Tumbling Dice. Great groove. Great groove. Alright, it is Rolling Stones, October <laughs> October 22nd, 1989. Tumbling Dice. Lovely, great song, nice performance, nice groove. Now, this isn't, this is kind of like seeing the Rolling Stones at this point in their career is kind of like seeing Aerosmith at this point in their career. Although I think um, as far as sales went on their contemporary music or Aerosmith at this point was probably outselling the Stones uh, musically, not concert wise, but um in that they're more sober it's not sex, drugs, rock and roll as much it's not wild, chaotic Dionysian um, no heroin <coughs> more professional these guys are at work and uh, the songs they're playing are great and they're doing great renditions but it doesn't have that edge to it but again, I mean it doesn't need to. It's not a, it's not a it's not a judgment uh, or a disparity. It's just like, okay, that's what it is. I'm trying to I'm trying to manifest uh coalesce my feelings for this tour and this show um to myself and to you cuz you have to listen um as I listen. So, but I'm not going to babble too much cuz I want to get into the next song, which is awesome and stretches out a bit and is really tight. Um, And it's a great song anyway, Miss You, Um, from Some Girls, which is, in my opinion, the best of the Ronnie Wood albums, and the last great album The Stones put out, in my opinion, which is, you know, all that matters. It's like saying whose kid is the prettiest, you know? Well, that's not, that's creepy as fuck. (laughs) Which kid you love more? How about that? Uh, But, yeah, in, in my opinion, from my point of view, "Some Girls" is the last great Stones album. They had great songs, and "Tattoo You" is really good, but it's the last great album for me. And "Miss You," amazing track. I remember, I, I remember when it came out. Uh, I was 10 years old. I don't really remember much before that musically. Well, 1977. I remember like "News of the World" from Queen. So I do remember 77, um, clearly, and Elvis dying and stuff. But um, I remember this song coming out. I was living in New Jersey, uh, northwestern New Jersey, um, in the sticks, actually, kind of. And this song was on the radio all the time. And my dad liked it, which made me like it. And it's really cool. Four on the floor, disco beat, and kick ass, miss you enjoy it, it's great, they stretch it out here and really have some fun, and Mick consummate professional, there is no there is no better front man for a band at this point because Robert wasn't with Zeppelin, because there was no Zeppelin so, that's out of the equation uh, so here we go miss you, Rolling Stones October 22nd 1989 October 22nd, he said definitively. Here you go. go. There's the Rolling Stones. That was 10 out of 10. And I love the way it wound down. Like a rock band. Really good. Ronnie was back in uh, better command of himself. Unlike on the um, 1981 tour. He was uh, lots of cocaine. Freebasing it like If I remember, it was something ridiculous like almost an ounce a day. Like tens of grams of cocaine a day. Fucking nuts. Fucking nuts. But not here. And very good. Ronnie's back to being kind of a secret weapon and and able to fill, you know, many shoes. Brian Jones' shoes, Mick Taylor's shoes. Not as good as, but able to pull it off and plus miss you that's all he and Keith and it is good and Charlie and Bill the whole bass line it was great and Mick killed that song absolutely killed it gave gave it life made it sound fun and all right I know you're not here to hear me talk you're here to hear what oh (gasps) who is it yes Lord oh it's my daughter Uh, She got a Nintendo 64 because she's all about retro gaming now that, you know, everybody's housebound for half a year. Um, And she got one uh, against my recommendations. One was purchased from Japan inadvertently. Like they just didn't pay attention to it. And like N64, boom. So they have a Japanese N64, which should work in the States from what I'm seeing, but uh isn't. So I'm trying to remotely figure out why her N64 isn't working. And um, it should from everything I see. But if it's not, I think it may be a matter of not being compatible with their television. Maybe the television can't change the resolution, etc. It does have AV, uh, the RCA jack hookups, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I'm working on that when you guys are listening to tunes. So I'm going to hop back on that and play for you Gimme Shelter, another song that stretches out. And uh, I think this one has some nice uh, saxophone from Bobby Keys, the the late Bobby Keys, unfortunately. And uh, Gimme Shelter, again, another one of the best songs ever made and the studio version of that song as I said my uh, Twitter friend the Gnostic Insect love that name Um, hit it on the head with the insight that the Stones are an album band and Zeppelin is a live band and uh, because Gimme Shelter the studio version of Gimme Shelter plus that was one of those things it was right uh, the transition between Brian Jones and Mick Taylor and Keith just stepped in Like he did with Sympathy for the Devil, which is him on bass and on the guitar. Amazing. All right, none of you give a shit, or if you do, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm going to play you a song. Gimme Shelter. It'll be the last one of the night, folks, so we'll wrap it up after, but for now, enjoy the Rolling Stones on the Steel Wheels Tour, and hats off, and a deep thank you to the Gems Group, who is releasing the Life Work of uh, St. Mike Millard, the taper from uh, the mid-70s to the early 90s, taping L.A. shows in unbelievable quality and clarity and preserving these great performances forever. Because where else are you going to hear this? Unless you were there, and then you could still only hear it in memory, thanks to the recording of this wonderful man. Give me shelter.
1: Bernard Valor, take now. On the keyboards, Chuck LaVelle. Ruggedly handsome. On the keyboards, Matt Clifford. Saxophone, Bobby Keith.
0: What's it like to be Mick Jagger? There's very few people in history. Who've commanded the attention of more people over that much time. I mean, we're coming up on 60 years as a band, as a performer. 60 years of a career and he still sounds amazing. If you look up his exercise routine, he's doing ballet. He's doing yoga. He's doing stuff in the water hours every day to maintain flexibility, to maintain strength, to maintain his voice. I and mean, he has for decades taken this really seriously and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that somebody in their mid-70s can still come out, dance around, and do a full Mick Jagger show, not sitting on a stool or, you know, in a tuxedo with the tie and the top button unbuttoned, like, uh, you know, Dean Martin, but running around, prancing around for two hours a night in his 70s, while singing and keeping that voice in t- tip top shape. His voice is strong still for two hours a night. That's incredible. Well done, Mick Jagger. And well done, all the people that he introduced Lisa Fisher, uh, Bernard Fowler, Chuck Lavelle, Bobby Keys, and the other people that I can't remember their names, and I apologize. Because that was really good. Yay, Rolling Stones. Yay, Rolling Stones. Ha <sighs> alright. Well, we should wrap this up, folks. It's been almost an hour. So let me just bombard you with social media click as everybody turns off the podcast. I know this part. Uh yep. Follow me on Twitter, Heart of Markness. Join the Facebook group, Heart of Markness. Lots of folks there, almost a hundred now. Well, seventy five, which is almost a hundred. Uh, great people, great community. If you want a copy of the Badge Holder Blues DVD, there's a gentleman in there, David, one of the patrons, who just tonight offered to uh, make copies for people uh, if they just sent him blank DVDs. So you're going to want to join the Facebook group to contact him if you're having trouble burning the discs, as I guess some people are. And it's kind of... Um, It's problematic in that the people that created Badge Holder Blues are like 20 years old. They don't know how to burn discs. They haven't burned discs. And so they can't offer support other than be like, hey, I'm really sorry. What do we do? Kind of thing. Um, And we middle-aged gentlemen may just not know how to do it. Cause it's been a decade since we've done it the last time or we've never done it. And we're just old fucks that are just, just like they say fucking boomers, man. just like, I don't know how this works. They should make this easier. Um, So if you're having trouble and you want the amazing, and it's totally worth it, it is people. (laughs) I almost said people's lives have been changed. Um, People's lives have been changed in watching this. And I mean and I mean, within the context of fandom. It's not like somebody had a religious experience, although some, maybe somebody did. Um, with this, this is a great, great thing these guys have done. And if you are having trouble burning it to DVD, join the Facebook group, hit David up. He'll help you out. So bless you, David. And let's bless the rest of the patrons. Oh yeah, if you want to support this podcast and what I do, if you like it, if you like hearing, uh, live music a couple times a week from bands that you like, you are welcome to, I invite you to, I implore you to become a patron of this wonderful, wonderful podcast, patreon.com slash HarderMarkness. Um, you'll get an extra podcast a month that no one else gets because you're better than other people and, uh, other cool things. And let us say thanks to the patrons, the titans upon whose shoulders this podcast rests. So a Laurel and hearty handshake to Wayne, Brad, Danielle, that Santana podcast is coming up. Tracy, Peter, Mark, David, he of the generous spirit. Bill, Mimo, who liked the Them Crooked Vultures podcast. Yay, I'm glad you liked it, Mimo, And Avi, who I believe was my first patron ever. Hey, Avi, thank you for everything. I deeply appreciate you. Okay, if you want me to say your name and to love you, become a patron. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. And uh, I may do another one of these because I've got some other shows in the pipe I want to do. Or maybe the next one will be, oh, heartofmarkness.com, you bastards, you almost made me forget. If you go to heartofmarkness.com, you will find A, these podcasts, and B, where applicable, you can download the entire show from which the podcast is drawn. So for example, in the next day or so, maybe tonight if I'm a decent person, you'll be able to go to heartofmarkness.com and download the entire show that we heard tonight not just the songs I played, the whole shebang for free, because that's how it should be. Tra la la. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good night. I love you guys. Be good to each other for the love of God. Bye bye.